guys, it's your host, Avery Carl with The Short-Term Shop. I am super excited to dive into our 10-episode mini-series on the Cascade Mountains in Washington State market. Super cool market, really cool part of the country. Wanna give you guys a couple of notes first before we get started. If you guys are looking for up-to-date income numbers or data or purchase prices on properties in these markets, you can find them at theshorttermshop.com. You can set up a search to look for properties in any of the 20 markets that we operate in. You can also sign up to work with any of our short-term shop agents in any of those markets. So if you buy with us in any of those markets, we teach you everything you need to know about how to manage a short-term rental for free. And you can do that at theshorttermshop.com. Also, if you know you want to work with us already, you can email us at agents at the shorttermshop.com and we'll get you set up with one of our agents in one of our 20 markets. We will, we have also got a Facebook group, short-term rental, long-term wealth, same title as my book on Facebook. If you guys want to just join us, it's 60,000 of my closest friends talking about short-term rentals and managing them and buying them all day long. And I believe that's it. And we can go ahead and dive into the show. Make sure to give us a like, follow, five-star review, etc., on YouTube. Instagram, Facebook, all at The Short-Term Shop. I'll stop talking at you and let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome to episode three of The Short-Term Show special episode series on the Cascades in Washington State. Today, we're going to be talking about numbers, and we're only going to be talking about income numbers. We're going to do expenses in a separate episode, so we're not doing analysis here. We're solely talking numbers. Uh, we've got several familiar faces here. Doug, our agent in that market. Say hello, Doug. Hello, Doug. No. Uh, <laughs> hi, everybody. Good to be back and uh, doing another episode. All right. And next, if you've listened to any of our other series on other markets. We have John Bianchi, the Airbnb data guy, to come on and talk about numbers. So John, you want to introduce yourself really quick in case folks haven't listened to the other ones? Sure thing. Uh, thanks for having me, Avery, as always. Appreciate it. And uh, anyone who doesn't know me, I'm the head of data for TechVestor, which is the largest short-term rental investment fund in America, helped by over 120 properties in the last 18 months, which was about 60 million or so. And uh, we have real data on 72 of the properties that have been active, and we are 72 for 72. Every single one of them is a positive cash flowing property that we have accurately predicted the revenue potential and are operating it well. So that's a, a great record. And on top of that, I also do Airbnb data consulting, and I am working to ensure that nobody buys an unprofitable property again. So I do that through software and services and products and free training on YouTubes as well. So. That's me. Awesome. I, should, I should also add my introduction. If you haven't listened to the prior uh, episodes, uh, I am the Washington State agent, um, the sole Washington State agent for the short term shop. So kind of important. Yeah, <laughs> and he was a principal for four years. <laughs> uh, seven years. Oh, seven high years. School, high school principal. High school so, principal. Oh, geez. Yeah. We got this is tough. Is that a tough job? It is the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. And, yeah, because uh, high schoolers are are real dicks. I couldn't do it anymore after seven years. I taught high school for 15 years and loved it. And I was an administrator for seven. Also loved it, but it was extremely difficult and really ultimately led me here. So uh, <laughs> that's a good yeah, it seems we like a hard job. I was not the best high school <clears throat> student. Not terrible student, not terrible, but we would have communicated if I went to your high school at some point. 
<laughs> we would we would have had a conversation, John. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, that sounds I've heard that before. Uh-huh. The yeah. way in that tone and everything. <laughs> Hold on. That was exactly. very principally. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the use of the Let's name at the end, I felt bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Bianchi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bianchi, did I say it right? I don't know. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So principal wolf. Um, okay. So we're just going to briefly touch on um, the metrics that a lot of people use to analyze short-term rentals. We're not going to go through them too in, in too much depth here. So um, there's a few different ones you can use. Cash on cash return is the most often used. And to put it very simply, cash on cash return is the amount of money that you put down at the beginning of the deal. So that's your down payment, your closing costs, if you're doing any rehab stuff uh, or not, furnishing, things like that versus the amount of cash you have at the end of the year after all of your expenses, including your mortgage. So, you know, and it's expressed as a percentage. So um, what you put down at the beginning versus what you have at the end of the year, that is your cash on cash return. And it's cash on cash returns can vary, I mean, within market. So I wouldn't say that any one market, well, you typically see X. Um, And the rules of thumb have varied over the years. So there have been you know, different ones floating around from different influencers over over the years. I would say anything over ten percent is decent. But what we're looking for really, when it when we're looking at short term rentals, is not necessarily what a property is currently doing, but the opportunity of what that's there for us to get a property where we need it to be. So just like investing in uh, like apartment buildings, there aren't you use cap rate to evaluate apartment buildings. And there are not any apartment buildings anywhere just laying around waiting for you to buy them that are already performing at a great cap rate. What you're doing is you're looking for the opportunity to buy an apartment building that you can update as people move out and then raise those rents to match the updated units so that you can then raise that cap rate. So just, and I use the apartment building analogy because Apartment buildings have been a very established asset class for basically ever, whereas short-term rentals are kind of a new asset class as of the past 10 years. So the early adopters, I think, would say things like, oh, you got to have a 30% cash-on-cash return. But that was back before we were an established asset class where not a lot of people were buying them. Now that it is an established asset class, this is actually real real estate investing we're talking about, you are looking for the opportunity to be able to get a property to where you need it to be because because the days of properties just laying around with amazing cash on cash returns doesn't exist anymore. So just like the older school asset classes, we are looking for opportunity here. But that's enough about that. There's plenty plenty of education on cash on cash return and how to calculate it online. So we are going to talk about the numbers, income numbers that you can expect in or based on what John's been able to find uh, in this market. So John, you want to give us a a little introduction overview? Yeah. So one other thing I kind of want to throw in there too, but what you just said, uh, just for anyone who is listening to this, maybe isn't all that new. We're talking about in today's environment, the the, uh, cash on cash percentage, right? That's with like eight to 9% interest rates. When that changes, it could change things as well, right? Right. Obviously, as that continues to go down, your cash on cash will very clearly go up. Um, and something as well, Avery, we'll probably talk about this weekend when we see each other is I've been wanting to explore a lot more of the cash flow in comparison to the cash on cash. Because you get like a, a small $100,000 property, you can look like you're having great cash on cash, but really you're only earning maybe $20,000 in cash flow where it's like, well, what, you know what I mean? So I don't really have it fully fleshed out and understood just yet, but uh, trying to understand which one I would rather look into a little bit better moving forward. Mm-hmm. And cash flow is kind of feeling like 
a better s- s- thing to look into. But anyways, yeah, not yeah. The point well, of this I agree with that. No, I you mean, would? we can have that just a quick conversation on it. All right. So I think at different points in investors' careers, one or the other is more important to them. So when I first started, we had just about this much money. And for those of you who are listening and not watching, it's like a millimeter I'm making with my finger. We had very little money. So we needed that money to go as far as possible. So we were more concerned with cash on cash return because we wanted to keep as much money as possible to then go buy another one. Now that we don't have that restriction anymore, we're more concerned with, okay, like we we need to move some money into some real estate here. This is going to add X amount of cash flow to our portfolio a month. Does this not number makes sense. And that's really, really subjective. So we don't necessarily have a, oh, you know, it needs to add X percentage of cash flow if we're going to buy it. Um, So I think that that's very, you know, just depends on where you are. I I personally nowadays want to see, I I pay more attention to cash flow than I do cash on cash return. So. Gotcha. And I think the reason why I'm even considering it is because I'm looking into doing JV deals, right? Like joint Mm -hmm. venture deals and trying to figure out which one's going to matter more in the long run for people. So anyways, but um, let's get into the data. Wait, sorry. I, w- I, w- I, w- I would add one more thing. In yeah. term, like me as an investor getting towards retirement, I'm actually looking at cash flow um, because that is going to be my income um, when I when I retire. Mm-hmm. I don't plan on retiring, retiring, but um, you know, I want that monthly income to supplement whatever other investments and uh, 401ks and all that stuff that I have. See, and mm-hmm. I'm not, close to retirement. I don't think I'm ever going to retire either, but I feel the exact same way where it's like, I want to get uh, like, if I can figure out a way to be able to get solid cash flow to be able to cover all of my expenses on a regular basis moving forward, then that's the best case scenario. Obviously, building out the net worth over time is the the long-term plan, but the building up that cash flow at the very beginning to then be able to put all the focus into the net worth. I know everyone else says to do the opposite, but I feel like Airbnbs, it's kind of... Uh, a lot of people put their focus on the cash flow more than the net worth. So, anyways, yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, cool. We so can talk let's... about that all day. I think. Yeah, I was just gonna say. <laughs> so I keep I keep switching it, trying to go back to the the data because uh, otherwise I'm just gonna keep going on it. So um, interesting, like the 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 Cascade Mountains, right? That we looked into, uh, Doug. I've never been there, but Doug, you know, helped me understand the the different ways that it's kind of broken up and into sort of three different categories. Is the way that he put it. Um, you have your, I'm going to say this wrong, seal alum. <laughs> you did say it wrong. <laughs> did I get it right? No. Like, no. Okay, I didn't think. <laughs> How Klee, do you say that? Klee Elum. I mute myself. <laughs> Klee Elum. Klee Elum. Uh, all right. Yeah. Sounds good. Wow. I really screwed that one. Klee Elum. <laughs> so Klee Elum um, and that general area with the lake and everything that's there, that's, that's sort of the one grouping of locations. Then you have your Ashford and Packwood, um, which I did have a little bit of experience in that area before from, for doing some analysis for other people in that, that spot, but I've never been to these spots. And then obviously the gold bar area as well, which is unbelievably beautiful from what I was being able to see in the photos and some of those listings, like the river with the mountain in the background incredible. Right. So, um, but from a, a sort of data perspective and numbers perspective, the uh, Klee Elum, I think I got that right. Klee Elum yeah, is, uh, it seems to be a luxury asset location. So it's more, definitely more about a buy and hold luxury asset for the most part. Is Am I right in saying that uh, from yeah. what you guys are seeing? So Klee, the Klee Elum market is driven by Suncadia Resort and Suncadia Resort is a luxury resort. Um, it's actually owned and operated by the Hyatt, but they do let you self-manage in there. 
So okay. if, if you have them manage, it's they take 42%. Um, if you manage, obviously you don't. So um, people buy in there, have bought in there historically as second homes and let um, you know the, res the resort manage their places. And we're seeing now more and more people buy and self-manage in Suncadia. But gotcha. that is that is that luxury asset class that you're talking about. Yeah, which is like, it's in its own category. And I think it needs to be mentioned that it's kind of in its own category because it's very different than a lot of other markets and what other people are trying to do. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a different type of investing, right? Um, in comparison to the norm. And so what I noticed was like that, that was just the case because there's, there are, there's super high revenue being made there, like well over $200,000 for some of these properties. Um, you know, a, a good amount of these properties, most of them being three, four, five, six bedroom homes that are, you know, being able to hit these numbers. And that's just what we're able to see here. And that, you know, maybe the resorts are able to pull in, uh, like the, the management company that is actually managing it through the resort. Maybe we're not able to see their data and they're able to pull in more than what I'm seeing here because those homes are absolutely beautiful and, you know, they're not too far away from Seattle. So you would assume that there's some good money flowing that way. Um, but uh, yeah, just generally all of those different areas have a lot of money being made with a very high ticket price to the property, but it's a different type of investment for what people would be going for for those specific areas. That was my general overview take in that area, right? Yes. I would say the only caveat to that would be some of the outlying areas in Ronald and Rosalind um, are more can be more cabin oriented and um, less like high end resort ish. Yes. Um, so Suncadia certainly drives that market, but there are opportunities outside of Suncadia that um, that are, are at a lower price point um, that still tend to perform. Okay, cool. So the the other thing that I saw, whereas like because I, I did see that as well, so I didn't want to like uh, uh, completely say that that there was <laughs> only multi million dollar properties, right? But um, in the Ronald area, which I found very interesting, was it was all around the lake, right? So it's all very, very close to the lake there. And that my take is that I could see it being more profitable from what I was seeing to be able to find a cheaper property in that area being that close to the lake. So maybe you don't have the luxury property on the lake that overlooks the lake, but you're close enough to the lake with a property that would be a a better price and you would get make more money due to that reason. Does that make sense? It does. Um, I don't think that lake drives drives those rentals as much as people think. Okay. Um, it, it's a reservoir. And so it, like the, the level goes up and down. And so there's huge like banks in the wintertime. And it's almost like more like a river, like way down at the bottom of this barren landscape. Yep. Um, and then in the summertime, it fills up and it, it is nice and it's pretty and you can like, um, you know, go drive your boat on it and stuff. But um, that area is actually, I think, more driven by the amount of access there is to recreational activities and trails and ATVs and snowmobiles and those types of things. Gotcha. See, and this is uh, the uh, local knowledge always so <laughs> helpful, right? Because this was yeah. this honestly was one of the harder areas for me to look into and like be able to find some sort of like insight because a lot of the you know, beautiful properties or sorry, a lot of properties doing really well were beautiful properties. And a lot of them had like these really nice views and these different things. So the and I could see that there were some other properties that were slightly cheaper, but I wasn't able to get a good gauge on on what the opportunity was for something like that. Um, and then also, you know, naturally from an outsider just looking in, you see the lake, you assume the lake is the revenue driver, right? But you're you're essentially saying that it's more so the um other activities that people are able to get to that it's gonna be better for them. Yeah, be Ronald 
Ronald is the end of civilizationness, and so mm-hmm. it's the last town, the last place um, before you head up into uh, into the mountains on gravel roads. Gotcha. Yeah, so that's the appeal of Ronald, um, where yeah. it, you know it's a jumping off point to do many activities further up the road. And so, with the activities that you're referring to, of like the hiking and everything, they would be at the end of Ronald, or were they closer to Clee Elm? They would be close. They would be at the end of Ronald. Gotcha. I mean, there's there's stuff everywhere in that area, but yeah. um, Ronald is like the last bastion of civilization, and then you get into like gravel road forever um mm-hmm. type of wilderness areas okay that makes sense uh again just the reason reason i was asking and trying to figure out is because like you can see the, the there's strong revenue in both of those mm-hmm. locations and uh i'm always about trying to find what is the most optimal thing that you could possibly purchase right the bet mm-hmm. the lowest price for the highest possible return um and like my gut is telling me that ronald is going to be the spot where you're going to be able to find something that would be a little bit more affordable that has more of a pull to be able to drive more revenue but I could be wrong. No, right? I think you're right. Um, you can drive a little bit southeast and be on the golf course in Suncadia in 10 minutes. Um, you can drive uh, 10 minutes the other way and um, be at the trailhead of a, a hike that goes to an amazing vista. So gotcha. um, Ronald kind of serves as the, you know, the best of both worlds. Yeah, and just want to point out that if you are planning on doing something along those lines where it is a little bit more remote, like hyper design your property to be able to to uh, attract those types of people, right? If it's it's remote in any sort of way, like attract it, uh, build up the property in a way that's going to attract the people that are going to want a very remote type of property because then they'll be willing to pay even more for it. There was uh, one listing out there that's a two bedroom, two bedroom, one bath, and it's called the Timber Stilts Modern Cabin. And it's it's literally just a cabin on stilts in the middle of the woods. It's making $120,000 a year and is absolutely beautiful. It's like one of the nicest listings that i've ever seen like without a doubt going to be making videos and content all about it because it's such a nice property but uh just kind of want to uh, point that out that if there is a property to to replicate or try to study to learn how to increase and drive more revenue for the property that would be the one to look into um so anyways that's everything that i have for the ronald uh that that general area there the other spot that i find to be honestly more interesting than that is the ash ashford and packwood area uh hands down if i were to be going into one of these areas i would likely end up in the ashwood or packwood or generally in that general space simply because the there there's a very clear uh cabin style that is pulling in people there's a very clear uh uh client base that people would want to pay a good amount of money to state your property which is the smaller one bedroom sort of romantic type cabins where it's just a couple going up there to have a romantic time out in the woods away from everybody and getting out of the city of Seattle. There's so many, especially Ashwood, so many one bedrooms and even two bedrooms as well. They're in that same sort of range that are performing extremely well for a one bedroom, right? Uh, Packwood had a less Packwood actually had more two bedrooms and three bedrooms. Um, But I'm I, because I've looked into Packwood before, there's another spot right beside Packwood. And there's actually a lot more of these one bedrooms very close to Packwood that wasn't Ashford. I couldn't remember what the name of it was, but um, do you know the name, Doug? It, which side of Packwood? Probably slightly south. I probably should have just figured, figured it out, but... Um, slightly south. So is it Randall? Yes, Randall. It- yeah, Randall. Oh, okay. Yeah, nailed it. Um, so that's where I saw more one bedrooms as well that were performing really well. And then again, obviously Ashford. So 
it's to me that's like I'm the type of I'm I use the enemy method more than anybody out there, right? And I even got to the point where I start. I've actually now called the enemy method thanks to Avery. I was doing, <laughs> I've been doing this for a very long time, and I was called Burger King logic, right? Where you're studying other somebody else's listing to be able to figure out how you can drive your revenue. And what I always love to be able to see is a good amount of consistent uh, data points of people doing something similar that is working really well, right? So if I see a lot of people have like these square luxury looking pools in a higher end city, now I know that everyone's going to want the, I need a, a square higher end pool to be able for it to work, right? And when I look into to Ashford and Packwood, what I see are a lot of one bedroom, small, romantic, secluded cabins and that are performing extremely well if you can provide that type of service to these people. And so it's like, well, I know how to put together a really great listing. And so if I were to be going into this area, I would just study everybody, figure out exactly what they're doing right and wrong, and then be able to put together a listing that's going to be better than everybody else's listing so that I could win all of that business moving forward because I know that's something that people are really looking for. Which, uh, you know, before I get to it, there it's just so you guys know, like the numbers in in Ashwood from what I'm seeing is for the one bedrooms, there's people doing over 90,000. So you got a handful of people doing over 90,000. The good grouping of people are within the uh, sixty to seventy to eighty thousand dollars range, kind of within that little twenty dollar twenty thousand dollars gap there. But then there's a lot of two bedrooms that are also doing that exact same amount, right? So the ability to hit eighty thousand, seventy five thousand in that area seems to be very doable if you put it together properly. Which actually, Doug, is something that you're planning on doing. If I if you can speak about it, I'm not sure if you can, but <laughs> yeah, I can speak about it. It's Ashford, not Ashwood. Just wanted Oops, to sorry. Make I don't sure know why I keep here. saying Ashwood. Yeah, well, there's Packwood and then there's Ashford. There you go. Um, That's it. Yeah, so I'm actually um, I'm doing a new build in Ashford, um, which actually started before I joined the short term shop um, and is my next investment. So um, still waiting on permits. I should be getting them soon. Holy moly, it's been a, a ride. But um, but yeah, I chose so just more out of gut and more out of like area knowledge. I chose Ashford just because I felt it had the most upside in terms of um, not really developed area yet. Mm. Uh, and I think it will become that. Um, I think it's really a, a, a growing area and a, a place where people a lot of people are drawn to. So um that's why I chose it. Makes sense. I mean, they got so Mount Rainier from my from what I was seeing is the big pool there, right? It's very close. Oh, yeah. Beautiful yes. views. Five minutes from the entrance to the national park. Yeah. And uh it, Mount Rainier is actually on the list of like one of the best places, unknown places to go. You know what I mean? The underrated uh national parks or whatever. I'm not sure if it's a national park, but you know what I mean. Yeah, um, it is a it's a national it park. Is. Um okay. And every time I go there, I'm amazed at the the number of languages being spoken, um, mm -hmm. which is just an interesting thing. Like um, there's people from all over the world up there, particularly in the summertime. That's that is uh, interesting. Yeah. And um, so that's also a great point of like the idea that it's underdeveloped, but it still has this great pull, which would actually make sense why <clears throat> the one bedrooms and two bedrooms are doing so well there, because simply because the. Uh, um, there hasn't been major development like we are seeing in the other locations where these they're building these massive four or five bedroom homes that are these luxury properties because it's such a great piece of land to be on. Whereas this is more so like smaller homes that have been built over a longer period of time that are are there. And that's why it's attracting those types of people. Um, interesting. And then the last thing I'm going to pull up is uh, Gold Bar, which, like I said, when I start getting into this Gold Bar was unbelievable some of the photos of of people's cabins right along the the river bend then looking out to 
these mountains in the back was I was just absolutely amazed by it. Um, the interesting thing is that the two bedrooms, there's a lot of two bedrooms doing as well as the properties in Ashford and Packwood. Like they're, they're, it's around that same sort of range where you're going from like 60 to $90,000 of uh, profit potential within that specific area. But a lot of these top performing properties are along the water or along the river, mm-hmm. sorry. Right. And so that's, it's obviously being along the river is going to jack up the price of those home values. And so it's going to make it a little bit more difficult. However, from what I was seeing, it's a long, it's not just gold bar. Like it goes Correct. all the way down. There's quite a few different spots all the way down there that you could be in. And it didn't seem like there's a major difference between one to the other. Was that? No. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's gold bar index bearing Skykomish, all those little towns, all up highway two along the river. Yeah. Bar, and my, um, my data was pulling from all of that. So I was yep. grabbing, I was grabbing all of those locations to be able to review them. And I, I was, I was pretty shocked by that, but it's fairly similar all the way through. Right. So yeah, gold, sense. gold, gold bar is the biggest town with the most amenities in terms of like having things to, to buy and you know, groceries and things like that. But mm-hmm. all of those towns are along the river. And I, I would echo the fact that you almost have to be on the river there um, yeah. because you get off the river and there's really not much um, in terms of what people are looking for, which is just that like re- relaxing romantic stay. There's, yeah. there's a, there's a cabin currently for sale there that I looked at and like was jaw dropped. I was like, Holy hell, that's beautiful. It was so, it was so nice right along the river. I can't remember what it was priced at or what the address was, but I was just in the middle of research. I saw it and I was like, wow, it was one of those ones that like kind of stood out more than anything else. Um, you could just see it being an absolutely killer on Airbnb, right? But mm-hmm. the the interesting thing about the area is just that uh, there's actually just not a lot of big places either here, right? So mainly mm-hmm. two, three bedrooms, a lot of one bedrooms as well. There's and and uh, nobody is like blowing it out of the water with their revenue. So nobody's hitting uh, 150, 200 thousand dollars in that sort of range. From what I'm seeing, it's it's closer to that, you know. 80 or sorry, 60 to $90,000 range on average, which I already kind of mentioned. So in my analysis, right from an outsider looking in just at the data, the way that I kind of see this is that if I were to be deciding what to do, how I'd be going about this for me, right in my situation, I would be obviously looking at Ashford and being able to understand that a lot better. You probably don't like me mentioning that too much because mm. you're building out there, but at the same time it is, you, you did, you're doing the right thing, right? Like you're, you're in the right area. That's, that's awesome. Um, the if I if I had like a second place I'd be going to, it would be trying to find that property along the river in Gold Bar, right? Because I just one, it's beautiful. Like that's a that's an asset that you can have forever, right? As long as you can keep that going. Um, but obviously, if I was in a scenario or a situation where I had enough money for that sort of lifestyle uh, lifestyle asset, I'd be heading up to the Ronald area and trying to find a property in that general area that would have some sort of views of that lake, be closer to the access of those properties and really trying to put together a property that would give off that that mountain vibe. I think that no matter which one of these places that you go to, it's it's clear that the people who are willing to pay the most are the people who are looking for the experience of being in the woods, right? And being mm-hmm. surrounded by trees and having that sort of nature surrounding them, which makes sense for anyone coming from Seattle in a big city and wanting to be out in the woods, which is obviously a huge thing for people out in Washington. So that's my complete analysis for that area. Um, I know we've gone back and forth on each one of those different areas, but any additional thoughts or questions on that? Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So what was the area that you felt like was the most bang for your buck income wise? Ashford. Ashford. Got it. Yeah. 
Did you find anything size-wise that stood out in terms of what size property to buy? Uh, the one bedrooms in Ashford were the most interesting in to me, for sure. Okay. Yeah, cool. one bedrooms in Ashford. You get that romantic stay. Sorry, go ahead, Doug. Well, I I would like to add um, to anybody that's listening. Um, inventory in Ashford is extremely limited, and actually, actually, river properties on in Gold Bar inventory is extremely limited, and so. Um, they do very well. Um, and if you are contemplating that, you just know that it's going to be a little bit of a journey in terms of landing that property or, or finding that property um, or waiting for that property to come online. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad just, you said that. That's yeah. The, the local knowledge, right? Yeah. The, the local knowledge of the inventory. But, and they're also like, a lot of them are family cabins that have been in in families for generations. And, you know, they finally come to the end of their cycle with the family. And so they 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 put it on the market and um so a lot of them have deferred maintenance a lot of them you know they just went up there for the weekend and they didn't really do a lot to the property and so also i would expect uh to have to put some some funds into getting that property up to speed uh when you do find it so there's just a couple of caveats for for both ashford and gold bar um, that that i see a lot well i'm glad you said that because i uh, i look at this from a what would be the best thing that i think i could get you know what i mean mm-hmm. um that doesn't always necessarily work out to be reality right as uh my girlfriend often reminds me and so <laughs> you know if you uh what i would do if, if somebody is in this situation they're like that would be great to have but there's super limited inventory and like it's just not with either like within the budget or it's not going to be something there that's going to be hap- that's going to be worth it what i would be doing is looking into everything other than that right so like what is it off the river in the gold bar what is it uh if you were to get like a three bedroom that maybe wasn't as secluded or romantic or something like that up in Ashford. And like, what would it look like if you did go to Ronald, right? Like just trying to take, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I always look for the best of the best in my opinion, but that doesn't mean that it's always possible to get that. And so then if I find out that that's not possible, I then look into the next level. Like what's tier two? Because tier two still works out, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Most of the times you just have to take a step back and study again, right? And study that information as well. So I didn't get into that too much, but uh, I'm glad you brought that up. And I think in those markets, it's just patience. Like Mm. just, I mean, they will come on the market. It's just a matter of being patient and knowing what you're looking for and then being fairly aggressive when you do. It's it's funny because, you know, we're in a down market with high interest rates, um, but those properties have competition on them because a lot of people are looking for them. Yeah. I mean, well, this isn't always the case, but sometimes wait like the interest rate doesn't matter because the property has so much revenue potential that it's going to cash flow no matter what even at that high interest rate and then when the interest rates come down you look like a genius you know what i mean so it's like the um sometimes it's worth it to lock in when you can get it even if it's not the craziest cash flow because you know what the long-term potential of that property is so yeah yeah totally agree with with all that um all right so we, we talked about size is there any amenity data that stands out to you well it wasn't it, it it's what i've realized after reviewing so many different markets is that there is commonalities across different markets based on the way that they kind of look so this falls into the category of not necessarily a mountain market but a woodsy market right a very you know secluded cabin that uh is out in the woods and it, it's not you know uh, a super warm market all year round and so you have to be able to accommodate for that so 
typically when you fall into these categories, it's, you know, it's making sure that one, you are secluded, right? So it feels like people are out in the, the woods, but once they're out there, they want to have a fire because it's get cold at night. And they want to have a hot tub because it's, it's cold at night and they want to be able to sit out on the patio or sit out outside and they want to have hanging lights. And like, that's a sort of package that has become a standard in these types of secluded wooded uh, areas. And it's similar across a lot of other markets as well. And so this one's no different than from that. Uh, you know, saw some A-frames out there with the wood barrel uh, hot tubs and hanging lights and fire pits, and they're absolutely crushing it, right? So it's like, it's it, it, there's almost a package of what people are coming to expect in these kind of areas. And that would be the same standard packer, package. I didn't see anything uh, different or over the top that would tell me like, you need this thing that nobody has, right? So it's just the usual package. I have a question for uh, about Suncadia. Um, okay. So let's say that, you are a high income W-2 earner um, and you want a tax benefit from being from, from buying a property and you have uh, $2 million to invest. Um, do you see that high-end luxury uh, property in the Sunkady area as being a solid investment that would, would reap a return while also uh, offsetting your W-2 income? What would you consider to be a good in- investment? Like, how would you define that? Well, will it ca- so does the high purchase price, um, d- does the income match the high income price uh, in that area or uh, you know, relatively speaking. So, you know, the one bedroom in Ashford is going to do comparatively, right. you know, 60 to 90,000. Does the $2 million investment in Suncadia match that in terms of that same ratio? Excuse me. <clears throat> um. Well, I'm I'm plugging those numbers in as we speak. So give me just like half a second here. Sorry to put you on the spot. It's kind of something I've been doing in my head in terms of um, you know, is it worth is it worth the million dollar or two million dollar purchase? Um, in in cash flow, um, yeah. does it match, or am I better off to go with the the smaller one bedroom in Ashford? So my just like super quick analysis, and I'm gonna say I'm gonna say these numbers, and people may may be like that you're an idiot. That doesn't make sense. So, but I just did this in half a second. <laughs> but um, if I were to put in a two million dollar purchase price, and let's say you're throwing like eighty thousand dollars into furniture and getting everything set up, probably gonna be more because it's a luxury property. Uh, and the property were to gross two hundred thousand dollars a year with a operating expense at forty percent, then your cash flow on that property would be negative twenty four thousand. Um, so you're, but you're, you're, you know, I mean, you're covering two hundred thousand dollars worth of expenses, and your vacation home is costing you twenty four thousand dollars a year, right? Instead of two hundred twenty four thousand dollars a year. So in, it depends on how you want to look at it, where it's like, are you, you know, completely thinking that way? Now, with that being said, there are properties um, in Clea Elm uh, that are doing 230,000, 239,000, 243,000, 251,000. So you have these properties that are doing closer to that, like 240 to $250,000 range. Um, and so those properties in that case, if you did buy them for 2 million and they did, let's say even 240 on the the lower end, um, you're you're going to be walking away with fifteen thousand dollars of cash flow, right? Which is a two percent return on your money. Now, again, that's why I always say like lifestyle asset because most of the time people are buying this because they want to use it when they want to use it, and they have the ability to cover those expenses, and they are uh, getting to enjoy this amazing property without having to spend two hundred forty thousand dollars a year on it, right? Um, now, what I would say to that is I put in a $2 million, uh, price point to, for that, right? So I put in like $2 million, which, which seemed like an average amount, right? But knowing myself, what I would be doing is trying to 
figure out what all those properties were doing really well, other than just being a nice, beautiful new build, right? It's like, what else could you add to those properties that would really pull everybody in? And then I would be trying to figure out what was the cheapest one that I could possibly buy. Like, could I get that down to one six and yeah. uh, still make that work, right? And that would just be through studying that data to figure out what the revenue drivers are and seeing like, does can a four bedroom do as well as a six bedroom if I were to add all these features to it? And that cost me one six instead of 2.2. Um, that's yeah, I, th- I think one six to one eight would get you um, that two twenty to two fifty property. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, that's just my gut. But it, it, yeah, again, I mean, like, we don't can, take that uh, to the bank, anybody. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> review the numbers and then make that yeah. decision. But yeah. uh, but there's but the the good thing is is that there are properties making two fifty, so they're doing something to be able to do that, right? So figure out what that is. And the thing it the thing about these luxury properties is majority of people just buy them, set them up and forget about it. But it's like, what if you optimized it? You know what I mean? What if you did certain things to it that are going to make people want to pay more for that one in comparison to the other one? There's things you can do to these properties, just like we do for the romantic, tiny one frame, a one bedroom, a frame cabin out in the woods, right? It's like you add all these additional things. You can do th- the same thing for a, a luxury property as well. It's going to allow you to pull in even more. So, um, so yeah, that's my, that's my take on that very, very quickly. Again, yeah. Well, I appreciate you doing that on the spot. Yeah, no problem at all. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So, I mean, that was pretty comprehensive, John. (laughs) Um, So is there anything else numbers-wise, income-wise, that you guys, both John and Principal Wolf, think that our listeners need to hear that we haven't touched on already in this episode? Um, I don't know numbers-wise. I'm just going to throw out some advice that I found has been very helpful for me that somebody else gave to me, which was just underwrite every single, like as many properties as you possibly can. So if you just start underwriting property after property after property, you will eventually be able to know what the norm is for that area. You'll have like an understanding of like, oh, everyone generally makes about 10%. And then eventually you're going to come across a property that does about 20%. And that's as soon as you see that, that's when you know that that's the property that you should purchase because it's super rare to be able to find something like that. And that's going to be the best possible purchase. I'm not saying the 10% wouldn't be a good one, but I'm just saying that if you underwrite a lot of properties and actually review the numbers over and over and over and over again, you will be able to identify a good deal over a regular deal very, very easily. All right. Awesome. Uh, Doug, do you have anything to throw in at the end? I would just uh, I would just preach patience in terms of inventory. I'm hoping that um, you know we'll see an increase of in- inventory soon, but um, you know a lot of people come to me and you know want a property now and um, that they're just not there. So um, they will be there. And at some point you will find your property. I have a a client uh, who purchased recently um, who probably went through about five different properties before they, (laughs) before they actually landed on the one they're in, um, put offers in and actually had competition and um, really competitive offers, but got turned down. So you just need to be patient, um, particularly in those, the smaller markets of Packwood, Ashford, and Gold Bar. Um, so yeah, there's more inventory, um, and particularly in the higher price points, which is why I asked that question. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, cool, guys. So, John, if people want to follow you and learn about your data um, ways, how can they do that? Uh, so I recommend everybody who has never heard me or wants to learn more about uh, Airbnb data to just go to my YouTube channel, it's uh, at the Airbnb data guy or my name, John Bianchi. You type either of those into YouTube. You're going to find my channel. I've got three free Airbnb data courses on there. You can go through those courses. It's going to teach you all the basics, all the information you need to know 
to make sure that you don't you know make a mistake and once you have gone through all that if you want to reach out to me to have an educated conversation about something additional please reach out to me either through email or instagram i tend to be able to respond to everything it's all at the airbnb data guy all right easy enough and if you guys think you're ready to maybe start shopping for properties in this market and want to work with Principal Wolf, you can email us at agents at theshorttermshop.com and we'll connect you with him. Or if you just have more questions, want to learn more, you can join our Facebook group. It is the same title as my book right behind me, Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Or we have a live Q&A every Thursday that you can join. You can sign up for that at strquestions.com. Thanks, everyone. 